I think most of us have experienced moving at some point in our lives from one place to another. And it's interesting, if you go online, say, for a moving company, there's lots of advice about what to do in preparation for your move, what to do six months before your move and two months before your move and then four weeks and two weeks, and, but very little advice about what to do once you land in the new place. The Bible seems to take the exact opposite position. In the book of Exodus, God tells the people of God that they're going to leave tonight. (laughs) And then the book of Deuteronomy is the instructions on what to do in your new place. So I'm reading now from the eighth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. It's kind of the constitution of the people of God. I invite you to listen for God's word for you. Take care that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. When you've eaten your fill and you've built fine houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks have multiplied, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then do not exalt yourself, forgetting the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, an arid wasteland with poisonous snakes and scorpions. He made water flow for you from flint rock. He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your ancestors did not know, to humble you and test you, and in the end, to do you good. Do not say to yourself, my power and the might of my own hand have gotten me this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth so that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your ancestors as he is doing today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, we come to this moment and this time of worship. We seek to open our eyes and make ourselves available to you. So speak to us in both heart and mind, and quiet within us any voice but your own. For we pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You know, several years ago, after worship one day, a member of the church who was very dedicated, it's a member who had served on the session, who had served on the foundation of the San Marino Community Church, one day after worship, he approached our own Dr. Glenn DeLang, the director of our chancel choir. It was following worship, and he approached Glenn, and he said, you know, I didn't like that anthem. Dr. DeLang replied, that's okay, we weren't singing it for you. (laughs) And his response immediately shifted. It shifted the conversation from a discussion that was going to be about this particular member's preferences in worship, worship styles, 
Instead, a fundamentally different idea was tabled that worship is not about your preferences. We were singing that anthem to God. That's where our worship is directed. So the member chuckled. He got the point, and he responded, all right, you've got me there. And I love that about Glenn. I love the fact that Glenn has always been clear as to what we're doing when we gather together to worship. Our worship is directed towards God. It's why sometimes people in our congregation get a little uncomfortable when we sort of move from worship to entertainment. When we kind of move from we're directing everything towards God to giving thanks for the performance of one of our singers. Always a delicate balance because you never want worship to cross the line into entertainment or performance. Our worship is directed towards God, not one another. We all have different preferences when we come to worship. We have different styles that we like. But we all have to get beyond our own preferences when we gather in corporate worship as we do here. We gather to wish worship the living God, not our preferences. In the words of Howard Rice, we gather to worship God, not ourselves or our nation or our ideals, not our splendid sense of family, not our achievements or our plans. We worship the one who is beyond us and who will always remain at some level mysterious to us. God is our reason for gathering, end quote. So worship here, when we gather, is not primarily about meeting our own needs, though that may in fact happen and does happen, thankfully. Worship is really about turning our attention towards God. Worship directs us towards God because worship is rooted in the most basic, basic of all human needs, our need for God. Therefore, worship is basic to what is human. We continue in our series this morning on the six great ends of the church during the six weeks of Lent. And this morning we take up the third of those great ends, the maintenance of divine worship. I want to ask you a question this morning. What one thing could you do that perhaps you're not doing now that if you did on a regular basis would make a tremendous positive difference in your personal life? The truth is that question's not original to me. I just lifted that out of Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. In his chapter entitled, Put First Things First. What one thing could you do that perhaps you're not doing now that if you did on a regular basis would make a tremendous positive influence on your personal life? Well, Deuteronomy would respond to that question with, take care that you do not forget the Lord your God. Do not exalt yourself. 
Remember the Lord your God, for it's the Lord your God who gives you power, even to get wealth. That's why we worship. We worship to remember whom we belong to. And in doing that, we remember who we are. Augustine of Hippo, or Augustine, long ago put it this way, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So what one thing could you do that if you did on a regular basis would make a tremendous positive difference and influence in your personal life? Well, according to Deuteronomy, it would be to get worship right. Worship regularly, privately, corporately. Worship God. It'll change your life. You know, an experiment in time management several years ago to a group that I was a part of experienced the leader of this expert in time management who stood in front of us with a table with rocks and this big container. These big fist-sized rocks were piled next to the container and the group was asked to give their best estimate of how many rocks that speaker could place into that container. The container started to look full as he put rocks in there. Once the group was in agreement that no more rocks could be put in that container, the speaker said, really? And then he reached below the table and brought out a pail of gravel and began adding around those rocks the gravel into that container. When the container looked again completely full with the gravel, the speaker asked us once again, could more be added? And the group, a little less confident now, said, probably not. But the speaker replied, good. And again, he reached below the table, he brought out a bucket of sand. And he began to pour sand into the container until all the space around the gravel and the rocks was filled. And then one more time he came to the group and he said, can anything more be added? We were now prepared to be surprised again, so we enthusiastically responded, yes. And with that, the speaker said, excellent. And he grabbed the pitcher of water from beneath the table and began to pour it into the container. And by this point, the container was absolutely full, but the speaker had made his point. Much more can be fit into a life than we first imagined. Just when we think it's already full, some new opportunity will come along. Perhaps a new child is on the way, or a new committee needs an extra effort, or an unplanned wedding gets added to your schedule. Life may feel full, but still more can be added and accomplished. But then the speaker surprised us one more time. The message, he said, is not that you can fit more into life. But the key is getting the big rocks in first. You have to begin with that which is most valuable, the most essential things. Have to go in first or there will never be room for them. So Deuteronomy 
is interested in getting the big things in first. Faith in Christ is focused on the big things. If we're not talking in the church about what's most important in life, then we're certainly not talking about what Jesus talked about. Everywhere he went and with everyone he encountered, there was talk about life and what's important in life. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty of small things that are required in life and in our life together in the church, but we'd be mistaken to sweat the small things and ignore the big ones. Our faith maintains that there are some big rocks, some things that are most important that you've got to get into your life first, but they're often not the things we think are most important. Worship, the sacraments, service to others. I mean, many in our world today know little about these things. But they're vitally important for life to take shape. It all begins with worship. Because we so easily forget when we ignore our need for God, we're less than we're meant to be, and we fall prey to all sorts of distortions of human life. Distortions that we read about in our newspapers and we hear about on the news, on our televisions. Worship keeps us human. Because worship keeps us reminded of who we really are and to whom we belong. You see, the story of God's people is also our story. We too have known God's protection, God's favor, God's provision, God's comfort, God's kindness, God's faithfulness. We dare not develop a kind of convenient amnesia about that, trusting in ourselves alone, Grasping for anything that can secure our lives. Holding on so tightly to what we own that we begin to have more faith in the things we own. In our portfolios or our own capabilities. Then we have confidence in the Almighty God. Our lives, like those who've gone before us, are stories of deliverance. It's important to remember that we too have been delivered in the past so that we don't wrongly think that we're supposed to now take life into our own hands for the purpose of making something of ourselves. We're actually called upon to remember the past, that history of deliverance, and to remember it in such a way that we actually participate in that story again and again and again. We begin to understand that the promises and the presence of God in Christ are enough to secure our existence. When we grasp that, we live with gratitude because all of life is received as a gift. It's life not by grab, 
but by gift. When we understand that we don't own but merely possess our belongings and trust, hey, we begin to live life as a gift. And generosity comes quite naturally to us. Howard Rice writes this about divine worship. A congregation can have a fine congregational program, do good works in the community, be active in support of mission partners, and provide a wonderful sense of fellowship for its members. But if worship is not at the very center of its life, it's not the church in the fullest sense. Whatever else a church does, worship is at the very heart of its life, end quote. You know, in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, you can find a listing of the Ten Commandments. And the first uh, five of those Ten Commandments are all about worshiping God properly. The fifth of those concludes with, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And then what follows are the rest of the commandments. And Jesus summarizes those two aspects of the commandments when he was asked, what's the most important commandment? And he said, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. As if to say, if you get worship right, you'll begin to treat others right. But it begins with worship. What you worship makes such a difference in human life. Actually, Jesus' response to that question is the vision statement of our church. It's especially important to remember that we've been delivered so we won't wrongly think that we're supposed to now take life into our own hands believing that the promises of God and Jesus Christ are sufficient to secure our existence, we give back for our many blessings from the Lord as an act of trust and thanksgiving. You've probably heard this quote before from Winston Churchill. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. So be careful, lest you develop a convenient kind of amnesia, trusting in yourself alone and grasping for anything that can secure your existence. Because holding on to the stuff we own squeezes the life out of us. The life of faith begins with God, God's generosity and it continues with our worship and our gratitude. So when we gather here for worship, it's kind of a collective remembering, maintenance of divine worship. It means keeping something alive, not trying to protect it from the contamination of the world. Worship can and should adapt to change. We don't worship the way our ancestors did even 50 years ago, much less 500 years ago. We worship in both contemporary and traditional ways here in the church. And really, all worship should be contemporary, whether we call it that way or not, because every service 
must be relevant, speak to real human need. And every service should be traditional because it bears an ancient message and tries to make that ancient message real and relevant. You know, I've used this illustration before, but I know many of you like it, and some of you may not have heard it. But not long ago, a farmer from a traditional church went to the city one weekend to visit his children and grandchildren, and he went to church with them. And he came home, and he said to his wife, when she asked, well, how was it? He said, well, it was good. They did something different, however. They sang praise choruses instead of hymns. Praise choruses, said his wife. What are those? Uh, they're okay. They're kind of like hymns, only different, said the farmer. Well, what's the difference, asked his wife. Well, the farmer says, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a hymn. If, on the other hand, <clears throat> I were to say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, oh, Martha, 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 the cows, the big cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the cows, the cows, the cows, they're in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn, are in the corn, the corn, the corn, the corn. And then if I were to repeat the whole thing two or three times, well, that would be a praise chorus. <laughs> well, this young new Christian from the big city megachurch went to visit his grandparents, and he attended their small-town church one weekend, and he came home to his wife, and she asked him, how was it? And he said, well, it was good. They did something different, however. They sang hymns instead of regular songs like we do. Hymns, said his wife, what are those? Oh, they're okay. They're sort of like regular songs, only different, said the young man. Well, what's the difference, asked the wife. The young man said, well, it's like this. If I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn, well, that would be a regular song. If, I, on the other hand, I were to say to you, O Martha, dear Martha, hear thou my cry. Inclinest thine ear to the words of my mouth. Turn thou thy holy, wondrous ear by and by to the righteous, inimitable, inimitable, glorious truth. For the way of the animals, who can explain? There in their heads is no shadow of sense. Hearkenest thy in God's sun or his rain, unless from the mild, tempting corn they are fenced. Yea, those cows in glad bovine rebellious delight have broke free from their shackles, their warm pens eschewed, then goaded by minions of darkness and night, they all my wild chili wax, sweet corn have chewed. <laughs> so look to that bright shining day by and by, where all foul corruptions of earth are reborn, where no vicious animal makes my soul cry, and I no longer see those foul cow cows in the corn. And then he said, and if I were to do only one verse, Verses 3 and 4 and do a key change on the last verse, well, that would be a hymn. <laughs> it's really kind of silly, isn't it? The way we bicker over worship, what style God would prefer for us, what music is appropriate for worship. What's really important 
is to worship. Whatever way allows you to remember who you really are and to whom you belong. So get this most important rock in your life early. It's the one thing you can do on a regular basis that makes a tremendous and positive difference in your life. Thanks be to God. Amen.